Thanks for downloading this week's Revolution Community Church podcast. We hope you are challenged by this talk and will share it with your family and friends. If this is your first encounter with Revolution, we'll hope you'll come and visit us at our Logan Sport campus at 3930 East Market Street. Or check us out online at revolutioncc.org. Again, thanks for listening to this week's episode at Revolution, where Sundays are a party, where the family gets together, and we're always expecting guests. Maybe you feel like you're worthless 
Cause you had no parents to tell you were born with a purpose Or maybe someone stole your innocence Left you broken and bruised, feeling like you're the resistance Building walls between you and God Can't feel the full weight and measure of his infinite love You see, he sent you a savior Who rolled away the sin stone so you could get past your failures So why are you pushing that boulder? He took the whole weight of the world on his shoulders So leave that stone where you're standing And be free from the burdens of this world that you're bearing And then trust in the sun the only man who squared off with death and darkness in one. So your stone's been defeated. You now sit by the Savior at the throne where he's seated. So choose joy over pain. Because we know now more than ever that our God reigns. Yeah.
guys can go ahead and have a seat. At Revolution, we are celebrating the fact that Jesus is risen, and because of that, we can have connection with him, we can have abundant life today, and we are excited about that, and that is a party here at Revolution of this gathering. Um, over the last couple months, really, here at Revolution, we've been celebrating a miracle that's happened um, concerning two of our family members, Braxton and Josh, and uh, you might have heard some stuff on Sundays if you've been around, or if you follow us on social media, maybe you've seen some of those posts, but we really wanted to take an opportunity tonight and let them share their story with you, so check this out. Uh, my name is Braxton Van Arsdale. I'm Heather Van Arsdale. And uh, we have been married for five years, been together now going on nine. We have two little boys, Aiden and Grayson, and uh, we've been attending Revolution now going on four years. Um, I deployed to Afghanistan in 2014. Within the first month I was in country, I got sick and I was actually out for about a week. I mean, bedridden, couldn't move, anything. And uh, healed up. After that, I was perfectly fine. Went off my deployment, came back. What was it? April, I think it was, of 15. The VA called me and said, uh, you know, because they offer free health care. And I just needed to come in for a checkup to get put into their system. So it was a typical day. I go in there and uh, they run some lab work, um, have me take a urine test, stuff like that. And she comes back in the room about, 30 minutes later and I was feeling okay so, well yeah why she's like sweetie she's like your blood pressure was 198 over 100 I didn't know at the time what that meant and she's like you're a walking stroke so a couple weeks go by they ended up wanting me to go to the VA down in Indy because they have a wider range of testing and stuff down there and um, they ended up doing CAT scan and stuff like that and they noticed that there was scar tissue on my kidney so they, they wanted to do a biopsy, and the biopsy came back, come to find out I had IgA. IgA nephropathy. So that was the disease that I got. So basically what the disease does is um, my immune system was so high that when I got sick, that it, my, the, my immune system attacks my kidneys. Um, they found out my kidneys were at 45%. About five or six months later, I went in for, because every month I'd go in for lab work, and uh, it dropped from 45% down to 17, I think it was, in five months. So my disease was very rapid. Mentally, I didn't want to accept it. And then uh, when I got out of the hospital, you know, my kidney specialist was like, hey, um, he basically told me, he's like, I'm not, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. If you don't start dialysis within the next week, you're gonna die. Um, I was scared. I think a lot of it too was I was scared. Um, I'm, at the time I was 25, 25 year old shouldn't be on dialysis, you know? So if I didn't do dialysis, I would have died. But at the same time, dialysis wouldn't keep me alive forever. Mm, it's um, not a fix. I yeah, mean, it's, it's, it's a not back. a fix. It's, it's a, it, 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 you know, keep you alive to, you know, during the time being, but eventually um, is what would happen is is the dialysis would stop working um, and like i said it wasn't a fear of me dying it was a fear of my kids growing up without a dad fear of my wife being without a husband yeah the waiting list for my blood type was six and a half years minimum 
So and at the time, because I was already I was already on dialysis for three years, and the timetable for my type of dialysis, depending, is anywhere between like ten. I feel like you get ten. So that's kind of you know. As many of you know, the story's not over. We'll hear some more in just a minute. Let me pray for us tonight. God, you know where every single mind, heart, soul is at as hundreds sit in seats and you know, maybe 70, 80 kids are in small groups across the, the, the building. And, and I pray through your Holy Spirit over these next 35, 40 minutes that just something would happen, a shift would happen, a change, a transformation, wherever we're at on that journey of faith, God, that we would move in your direction just a little bit more. And uh, just be with us as we kind of dive into, man, what Easter is all about. And I pray this in your name. Amen. So, hey, happy Easter. I know it's Saturday night, right? It just feels a little weird. Like, this is our first time ever doing a Saturday night Easter service, but happy Easter. Uh, This is the biggest, greatest, grandest, most amazing celebration of the year. I mean, it really is. And yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'm so glad you're here to celebrate. I am so pumped to to be with you in this celebration. Heard a great Easter joke uh, this week. There was this pastor that decided to play hooky on Easter Sunday morning, of all Sundays. He, he like was watching the weather report for the, for the weekend. It was like the first great weather day, like sunny, high of 75 on Easter. So he sets up a tea time for the golf course, and he's going to skip out on church, and he sets up this whole plan. He calls his associate pastor like Saturday night. He's like, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to be able to make it in the morning. And um, the associate's like, it's Easter. I mean, just tough it out, but he's like, I just can't go. So he's like, okay, I'll, do, I'll take, take care of it. So this pastor lies, skips out on church, and goes to the golf course on Sunday, Easter Sunday morning. Can you imagine? Imagine that. So he's, he's teeing up on the first hole. It's a par three, and, and you know, heaven's kind of watching this, and this angel looks at God and says, God, are you going to let him get away with this? I mean, he lied about being sick, and he's skipping out on church on Easter Sunday. Are you going to let him get away with this? And God's like, no, I'm not going to let him get away with it. So this guy you know, tees up hole number one, hits a shot, a beautiful shot. I mean, perfect shot. It's going right, right for the hole. It hits the front of the green and slowly rolls up and falls in the cup. And the angel's like, God, I thought you said you weren't going to let him get away with it. And God goes, who's he going to tell? <laughs> Nobody. That guy's not telling a soul. What ha- okay, anyway, the front row got that joke. We'll keep moving, all right? So I didn't skip out on today and play golf, and I am so excited. We have a message to tell at Revolution. The promise of Easter is that Jesus is alive, and Jesus loves you. I mean, that's, that's the message. Jesus is alive, and Jesus loves you. And Jesus loves you, and I'm pretty sure he even loves you, as hard as that is to believe back there in the back row. I mean, he, he, loves, he loves me. That's probably the, the biggest miracle of all, is broken and messed up and fractured as I am. Jesus loves us. He has a plan for our lives. God pursues us. You know, life has meaning. Life has purpose. All of those statements are true because of Easter. There is nothing that compares to what we are celebrating this weekend. 
That nothing compares. There is no celebrity wedding. There is no sporting event. There is no election result. That nothing. Like Tiger Woods winning the Masters last weekend. That's a big deal after 14 years or whatever. I don't know if you're a golf fan. I mean, golf joke. But, it, but that doesn't even come close to comparing to what we were celebrating. Like the, the Indiana Pacers could win four straight games against the Boston Celtics. Uh, and, and then somehow upset every team in the East, make it to the finals, big upset against the Warriors, probably, uh, hopefully not, but, and win the NBA Finals without Victor Oladipo, I'm a big Pacers fan, doesn't even come close to comparing to what we're celebrating today. The Dallas Cowboys could win Super Bowl 54, doesn't even compare. The Dallas Cowboys could win Super Bowl 54 by beating the New England Patriots, and we're getting close. No, it, do it doesn't even come close to what we are celebrating today. Like, there is nothing going on on the calendar, in the world, this year, next year, year after, that compares to what we celebrate on Easter. On Easter, we celebrate the central core event of the Christian faith. Because, see, like, Christianity, it should be a dead belief system right now. Like, with what happened in the first century, like, nobody in this room should, should even know who Jesus was. The most powerful empire in history tried to wipe out every Christian living at the very beginning of the first century. Yet it made it out of the first century, and it exploded with growth because the disciples of Jesus, these guys that spent physical time with Jesus, his best friends, like they saw something with their own eyes that gave them a boldness and a passion that is unmatched in history. See, the disciples in Jesus, they did not believe in Jesus because some book told them about Jesus or because their parents forced them to go to church as kids or because they went to Sunday school every week or whatever. The disciples of Jesus, they believed in Jesus because they saw their friend, their rabbi, their teacher get put in a grave and three days later they saw him out of that grave. Let me show you what Paul He's a guy that actually, he, he tried wiping out. He was part of that, that, that move to get rid of all Christians, and yet he has this encounter with the risen Jesus. His whole life changes, and later he writes a letter to this church, and he, he speaks about the evidence for the resurrection. Look at what he says. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. He says, I passed on to you what was, let's read these two words, most important. Right, this is the core. This is the center right here. This is what's most important, what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. That's really important. Jesus Christ took on a cross. He was beaten. He was bruised. He was spit on. He was whipped. He took nails in his hands and his feet. Like he, like he cried out to his father, it is finished. He had a, a spear thrust through his side, and he died on that cross. And then most important, here's the, the rest of what's most important. He was buried, he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. Prophets for thousands of years have been foretelling this, and it happened just like these prophets had told. And then Paul says, after Jesus was resurrected, verse 5, he was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. This is so big. Listen, so like after Jesus was resurrected, he was seen by his 12 closest friends, the disciples. What you have to get is, after Jesus was crucified, they all ran for their lives. Peter, the rest of them, they were scared. They did not want to get uh, you know, uh, killed and crucified like Jesus. So they're scattered, they're hiding out, trying to like, stay away from the Romans, trying to stay away from the Jewish leadership. They're, they're afraid because here's why. Nobody expected, on Easter Sunday, nobody expected nobody they didn't expect what happened on Easter Sunday, but they get to the tomb, it's empty, so these men and women that had abandoned Jesus three days earlier, 
now dedicated their life to telling his story and spreading his message despite the risk. They didn't care about the risk anymore because they saw something that just blew their mind. It, it says this next. After that, he was seen by, more, by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Paul's like, listen, like if you, you want an address list? Like you can go visit people that have seen Jesus in resurrected form, over 500 people. Most of them are still alive. Just go talk to them. They're going to tell you the same story. <laughs> Ain't no grave could hold his body down. That's what they're going to tell you. And then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Big deal. James was Jesus' brother. James didn't believe his brother was God until he saw his brother rise from the dead. And then he, like the brother of Jesus, said, my brother is God. What would it take for you to say your brother was God? It would take Easter, right? It would take a resurrection. And last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. Paul's talking about himself there. He's like, I, my life was radically transformed because I saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. And I've dedicated my life not to killing Christians anymore, but to following and spreading the message of Jesus. Then four of Jesus' followers wrote the story down. They risked their lives to write it down, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Like, eventually they were martyred for this story. See, not, they, were, they weren't martyred for what they believed in. They were martyred because of what they saw. Like crazy people die for what they believe in. These guys died for what they saw with their own eyes. And now, 2,000 years later, think about this, 2,000 years later, we are gathered with about 2.5 million people around the world celebrating the resurrection of Jesus this weekend. This weekend, we, we gather as Revolution Community Church over these three services, but we are gathered with the Church of Jesus Christ around the world, people of different languages and races on different continents, all, like with different traditions, all gathered for one single event, the resurrection of Jesus. 2.5 billion people coming together to sing to Jesus and pray to Jesus and learn about Jesus and worship Jesus. 2.5 billion people that say Jesus is God. A guy that was crucified, a criminal's death, on a cross, everybody abandoned him, even his closest friends abandoned him, and then something happened on Sunday morning that changed history. Is this a big deal, what we're celebrating? See, here, here's what I'm saying. Yeah, 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 come on. Here's what I'm saying about Easter. Let's put it up there, guys. Easter is the end game. Easter is the end game. Kind of going along with a pretty big movie that will be coming out next weekend. I don't know if you're familiar. The, the Avengers movie, the, the set, like the sequel to Infinity War, comes out. And we'll find out if Thanos and the Infinity Stones wiped out a third of the Avengers once and for all. Or if hope will rise again. We'll see. Uh, my son and I, will, we will be going to see this three-hour movie next weekend. I don't know if you will. But, but Easter is the real end game. All right? And, and that's not a word we use often. So let me throw some synonyms of that word up. Conclusion, consummation, wrap-up, clincher. I love that last word. Easter is the clincher. Here, here's what that word means. A fact or event that settles a matter conclusively. I'm going to say that again. A fact or event that settles a matter conclusively. That's what Easter is. Easter's the end game. Easter settles it for us. Easter proves who Jesus was. Easter confirms that Jesus is God and that following him, believing in him and following him with our lives is the only way to live a true, better story. 
Again, Easter confirms so many things about God. Easter confirms that God made us, God loves us, God has a plan for us. Easter proves to us that God can take broken pieces and make masterpieces. Easter proves that nothing is impossible for God. Easter shows us, listen to this, Easter shows us that God pursues us. Because every religion of the world is about a prophet who says, follow me and I'll show you how to find God. Listen, Christianity is about Jesus Christ saying, I'm God and I'm coming to find and rescue you. When we messed everything up, we broke everything, we continue to break things, and God says, I'm going to fix it. I'm sending my son to give up his life and, and then to prove through a resurrection who he is and what he's capable of. And, and wherever you find yourself, as Julie said, wherever you find yourself, like whatever situation, whatever struggle maybe you're in, man, Jesus is the answer. And we can be confident of that because of Easter. Like some of you, you find yourself in a difficult situation and you need Jesus to do something big in your life. Because of Easter, like nothing's impossible. Some of you, you're here today, maybe you walked away from church, and, and maybe like church is just like, like something you do a couple times a year, and you maybe you had a bad church experience, and that's what kind of got you out of church, but like there's just, like all, all these things that are unexplainable about the Christian faith, and you have a lot of questions and stuff, but there's still one thing that's like undeniable, and some, for some reason, like on Easter weekend, you just have to find yourself in a church, or Christmas weekend, like there's just something about it, you just can't release the whole thing, and what I would say, that something is the resurrection of Jesus, like, if that is true, it's the end game. It's the game changer. It changes everything. See, Easter proves so many things. But let me just give us two more really big ones that Easter proves. And I, I've given a lot of evidence from Paul, another author, and you know, other people, what they said about Jesus. Let me show you what Jesus says about himself. And he's having a conversation with a woman named Martha, the sister of Lazarus. He had died four days before this conversation. And we, we looked at this story last week, but li listen, this is what Jesus says about himself. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. See, th this is a unique claim that sets Jesus apart from everyone and everything and puts him in a category all by himself. Because you know, everyone, every belief system, every religion offers advice for how to live a better life. Jesus is the only one with a solution to the grave. And I'm going to put it on the screen this way to help us remember. Here, here's something we can be confident in because of Easter. Because Easter is the end game, this life is just the pregame. Because of Easter, death is not a dead end. It is a doorway into something way better. Everyone who lives in and believes in me will never die. That's what Jesus said. And how can we be sure that what Jesus said is true? Well, because Jesus experienced death just like we all will, but then he beat it. And if someone can beat death, I think they have something to say about it. See, again, Christianity is different than any other religion or belief system in the world. Like, this is so important because so many people think that, like, Christianity following Jesus is it's just one option of, like, a thousand different worldview options out there. No, Christianity is in a category all by itself. Because Christianity is not built on a code of ethics, it is not built on a philosophy, it is not built on a book. The foundation of the Christian faith is not the Bible. No matter what song you sang growing up, the foundation of the faith is not the Bible. The footer of our faith is one fundamental fact. Three days after Jesus was crucified, the tomb was empty. Uh, 
we, we did some strategic things like leading up to this weekend with our kids. We have a five-year-old, an 11-year-old, and a 13-year-old. And, and we want them to understand how big this weekend is. Because I know, like our kids, your kids maybe are maybe already experiencing some of this if you have older kids or college age. Like I, I know our kids are going to struggle with their faith. They're going to have questions. Maybe they'll go to some philosophy class in college with an atheist professor that shares information they've never heard before, and they'll start to question their faith. They'll start to wrestle with it. So I want them to understand that if Easter is true, if Easter happened, then everything else is on the table. Like we can think through it. Like anything's possible if Easter happened. And so the evidence to Easter is just vital. It's the, it's the crucial part. So we, we did some stuff that like kind of really build that into them this weekend. Aspen just turned 13. So last night we watched The Passion of the Christ together. I hadn't watched it since it came out in like 04. I didn't, I didn't remember the impact that had on my life. And, and so at the end of this movie, uh, we're, we're crying together. And I just, I said to Aspen, I said, like what we just watched was the most important event that's ever happened in history or will ever happen in history. And I, I was going to watch it with Jacob as well. He fell asleep in the first 20 minutes. We'll watch it next year. He's not ready. He wasn't ready for it. God caused him to fall asleep. And here's what we did with Bentley, our five-year-old. We got a dozen plastic eggs, and feel free to do this with your kids if you have littles, but we got a dozen plastic eggs, and in every single one of those eggs, we put an object that represented something that happened in the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. And he had to open them, like, we numbered them 1 to 12, he had to open them one after the other, and one was like a piece of bread, and we talked about the Last Supper, and like how Jesus broke the bread, passed it to his friends, and, you know, said, this is my body, as often as you take the bread, remember me, and uh, we had Dyson one, we talked about gambling for his clothes, and that was a little hard for him to get, but anyway, and, uh, and we had three nails in one, and then we had a, a rock in one, we talked about how on Easter Sunday the rock was rolled away from the tomb of Jesus, and then we got to the last egg, and, and we told him what it was about, like every single one of me opened, we explained it after he opened, the last one I said, that last egg, number 12, it represents the tomb of Jesus, what do you think's in it, Bentley? What do you think was in it? Nothing was in the egg. All right? Nothing was in the egg because Jesus rose from the grave. Like, oh my gosh, I, you got to get this tonight. Come on. Because listen, this is what sets Christianity apart right here. Because every other world religion is built on someone that died and stayed dead. Judaism is built on Abraham. Let's put that picture up there. You can go visit Abraham's grave. It's the cave of Machpelah or the cave of the patriarchs. It's been enshrined. It's like a tourist attraction now. You can visit this cave today where Abraham's and his son's remains are there. Buddha was cremated. Here's the cremation site. You can visit this today. Ramabar Stupa. I'm sure I pronounced that wrong. This was built over, over Buddha's ashes at the spot where he was cremated. Visit, you can visit it today. In Islam, we know exactly where Muhammad is buried. His remains are still there. The tomb is enshrined, very fancy, very elegant. It's called the Mosque of the Prophet in the city of Medina in Saudi Arabia. He's still there. All the great atheist thinkers that existed throughout time, dead, buried, their body is still in the grave. Charles Darwin, buried six feet under. He's memorialized at Westminster Abbey. His body's still there. Karl Marx, dead and buried in northern London, and that is scary. You do not want to see that at night. Do not. My good gracious. His body's still there. Bertrand Russell, dead, buried, collecting mold in Great Britain. Where's Jesus' body buried? Nowhere. Nowhere. Jesus Christ died, was buried, rose again, end game. Game changer. 
But let's go back to 1 Corinthians 15. Because Paul gives all this evidence, and he builds like to this big point at the end. Let's read the, the yellow words together. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He's the first of a great harvest of all who have died. Because Easter is the end game, this life is just the pregame. And how do we know? Because Jesus beat death. Easter proves it. This is the last thing I'll say. Because Easter is the end game, miracles are possible. Like, if it happened, listen, if it happened, miracles are possible. When, when Jesus rose from the dead, it radically redefined reality. When, when he walked out of the tomb under his own power, the word impossible was removed from the Christ follower's vocabulary. The resurrection, it's, it's the end game, it's the game changer. And, and, and Jesus' resurrection is no, nothing short of miraculous, but the resurrection miracles do not stop there. God raises dead dreams up. He resurrects dead relationships. He fills empty hearts. He brings new life to marriages. He transforms lives. He brings hope to hopeless situations. And maybe you find yourself in a hopeless situation tonight. And you need a miracle to happen. And, and you're struggling to believe like, that a miracle can even happen because like, you're neck deep in a problem. It's, it's even hard to get a little bit of faith kind of mustered up because you just are overwhelmed by this negative situation in your life. But let me encourage you to think about something. Miracles are always preceded by extreme problems. You, you can't have a miracle without a problem. And the, the greater the problem, the greater the miracle. Everyone wants a miracle, but no one wants to be in a situation that requires one, right? We, we just finished up a series at Revolution. Some of you were here for it called Seven Signs, and we looked at seven huge miracles Jesus performed, turning water into wine, walking on water, healing all these different people. If the wedding party in Cana had not run out of wine, there would have been no need for Jesus to turn water into it. And what the wedding party perceived as a problem, Jesus saw as a great opportunity for a miracle to happen. And nothing has changed since Jesus turned water into wine, healed a man born blind, called Lazarus out of a tomb after four days dead, or walked out of his own grave. God can make your impossible possible. He is a God of miracles. And maybe you're in a rough situation and you need a miracle. Do not let the circumstance drown out your faith. Let today, let the evidence of the resurrection, let the truth of the resurrection just increase your faith in what God is capable of. I, I love this quote by Oswald Chambers. Sometimes we just have to have a perspective change in our life. He, he says, sometimes we think God missed the mark because we're too short-sighted to see what he's aiming for. Here, here's what I'm getting at. Before God adds, he usually subtracts. Before God multiplies, he usually prunes. Before Sunday happens, there's always a Friday. And there's a tendency to hit that panic button when things don't seem to be going our way. But maybe, maybe what you're going through is a setup for a miracle. Check this out. And they just opened us, like opened their arms to us and I remember we were so nervous and they loved on our kids and it was just, it was so funny how 
within a couple of weeks, it was like they weren't even friends. It was a family and uh, people that you legit during the week pray about and care about and stuff like that. And I remember I, the thing that really, uh, that really hit me the most, um, I had to go down for testing to, to get on the transplant list. And I was very nervous. And I remember I woke up that morning and I had like 10 um, Facebook posts and it was people in my life group saying, hey, you, you know, you're gonna have a good day. God loves you. We're praying for you. Good luck. And I've never had that before. We finally all got together. We were sitting there and uh, Josh's wife, Chelsea, um, opened the door and my mom and dad, my sister and her husband came in. We were like, whoa, what's going on? You know, basically long story short, um, they had these little cookies made of kidneys and it said, we have a match. They had these shirts made. Uh, it says, let's get this transplant started. And then I have another one that I'll wear of the day that says saved by Jesus and a donor. And um, so yeah, we opened them up and then she said, take a guess. It's someone in the room. And um, I remember looking around I was like, who could it be? Yeah, it was Josh. And he stood up. I remember when he stood up, he just opened his arms. And um, I just jumped up and, uh, you know, gave him the, the biggest hug and uh, told him because he's choosing to go through what he's going to go through for me. And it's not even just me, but for my wife and my kids. And um, I told him, I said, I, <clears throat> no matter what I do, no matter what I say, um, nothing would amount to the thank you, you know what I mean, the gratitude. Uh, I wish I could show you for, for what you're going to do for me and my family. I, I mean, I don't know. I'm sure you felt like some days, like, for sure you're, you're not going to make it. And like you said, um, your kids are going to be without a dad and Heather's going to be without a husband. Like it really hit me like, what if that were me and my kids would be without a dad and my wife would be without a husband? I don't know. It's a, it would be a very difficult thing to live with. So I just thought, let's just continue. Like, see where this goes. Um, he's choosing to do this. Like, you understand? Like, it's not like he's like, oh, I have to know. He's just out of his heart and out of whatever God has, has told him to do. He's doing this to save me which in, in return, I'm gonna be able to be a dad and a husband. And for that, I'll forever be grateful. Um, so I, I would like to have a friendship with him. And I, tr I truly believe that there, there's a reason that God chose him. There's a reason, I mean, you can go all the way back. There's a reason Nikki asked me that day to join the life group. There's a reason he was in the life group. There's a reason, I mean, it all, you know what I mean? It all fell in line. God's timing is what it was.
Today is April 19th, uh, exactly a week from me coming home uh, last Friday, and um, I feel great. All of my levels are completely back to normal, and uh, I feel really good, so thank God. Thank you guys all so much. I'm living proof that God is still working miracles today. Uh, even though at times <clears throat> life may seem um, really hard and that there's no answers, I promise you that uh, God will never leave you. If you're one of those people today that uh, feels like you're in a rut or you're stuck um, and that you've been praying for a long time and that God just hasn't answered your prayers, keep praying. I promise you, he will come through. If, depending on where you are in your faith journey, no matter what has happened to you, um, stay faithful, keep praying, and I'm a true testimony that God uh, will answer your prayers.
Yeah. 